It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, AsianBoxing.info. Scott and Colin with you. I know this weekend, Scott, we have two great <laughs> cards uh, on the way. But before we get to those, let's look back at uh, this past weekend. Not, uh, I wouldn't say the best weekend of fights, but we still got to see uh, some Japanese fighters, Filipino fighters in action. Uh, let's start first with uh, None versus Saka. Yeah, it was a weekend that seemed to promise a lot, and perhaps it's more because of how little there was the previous few weeks. It felt like there was something big going to happen. Um, Noine proved what he was up to. He uh, went over to Japan and stopped Kusuke Saka in two rounds to become the new WBO Asia Pacific Super Featherweight Champion. He dropped Saka in the first round. He was too good, too sharp. Saka had absolutely no answer to Noine's straight left hand and what performance yeah very impressive and for Noné, still uh kind of a, a good future for him what do you what do you think is going to be next uh for the young filipino i think we'll probably see him make a few relatively straightforward defenses uh back in the philippines but the reality is that he's in a fantastic position now he could go back over to japan and face hironori mashiro or masaru Suyoshi. he could look to you know progress and turn the wbo regional title into you know, WBR ranking and then a potential world title eliminator type of fight. But he is only 23. There is absolutely no need for him to be rushed. He's a brilliant talent, but very young. Let him develop. It's hard finding that middle line because you want him to develop, but you also don't want him just to stay fighting domestically. You want him to uh, get out and get those chances uh, at, at a world title. Obviously, that's going to take a while. Um, but a uh, bright future for Nene. Someone who is older, a lot older, actually. He uh, had an unfortunate weekend, just kind of got beat up by Berinchik. Japanese Rocky Arakawa. I-, I hate to see him go out like this, and I think it's almost time for him to hang it up. You kind of get the mixed feeling. You don't know if Berinchik is just incredibly good. He was a really good amateur, but is he going to be an incredibly good professional? Or is this how far Arakawa has fallen? Arakawa was never the fastest. He was never the sharpest. But Berinchik made him look like he was going through, you know, treacle. If Arakawa is on the slide, it's not a surprise. Um, I suspect he'll probably make a return later in the year against a sort of a Thai novice or a low level domestic fight to see what he's got left but this was really disappointing he he didn't really hit Berinchik at any point in 12 dominant round for the Ukrainian he got hit a lot and one the only thing he really showcased was his toughness again we we've known that he's always been tough and I, I've really respected his career over the years he's been a fun watch but I think it is time like you said, maybe just to get maybe a couple more bouts and then hang it up at 37. That's old. It is old, and given how he's fought, he's much older. He probably had, you know, years taken off his life with that figure all about. And then you can see he's fought Kondo, he's fought Kato, he's fought Estrada, he's fought Ricky Naito, he's fought Jorge Linares. He's had a really long, hard career. Uh, also, we got to see a Japanese welterweight title, and this one ended in a uh, technical knockout in the seventh round, Yada versus Nagano. 
Yada enters as the champion. He was in great form. Nagano, Nagano's actually in really good form. He'd won something like his last 13, and he kept that run going as he stopped Yada um, in the seventh round. Nagano, Nagano's always struck me as an awkward fighter without being a really great fighter. He's a solid, hard hit in Southpaw, but there's something not quite there. Um, he did put together a lot better against Yada, but I'm not sure whether either are going to really progress beyond Japanese level. The exciting thing is that they have got some really interesting challenges coming through the ranks, and hopefully over the next couple of years we will see the Japanese welterweight scene really catch on fire. We touched on it last week. It's probably never going to um, amount to anything at the world level for a lot of these Japanese welterweight fighters, but there are a lot of good um, fighters at the welterweight class in the domestic scene. And uh, that's going to make for interesting fights. Yeah, especially in the next few years when you've got likes of Yuki Beppu, uh, Hironori Shigita, um, Kudura Kaneko, and Rikito Adachi all maturing into very, very good fighters. Um, it's kind of the end for someone like Toshio Arakawa, who's a former national champion, but there is a really good way of coming through. Staying in the welterweight class, Giraffe. Oh no, the Giraffe. He was... Uh... Taken down a peg this past weekend. Giraffe started brilliantly for three rounds. He did what he wanted with Fumisuke and Kimura. Unfortunately, he blew his load, essentially. It was a fantastic start, but after round four, he was gasping for air. He was completely at the begging of Kimura, who eventually um, wore him down, broke him down, and took the TKO win in the seventh round. It was really disappointing Kanda. That just has to be the most helpless feeling in the ring there. You've spent everything and you're in trouble, especially after three rounds, only three rounds and seven more to go. Um, that's not a good feeling. Yeah, three rounds in a, uh, an eight round fight. But you kind of wonder why he hadn't prepared for the eight rounds. Um, it's... It's bizarre. Um, we knew his chin wasn't the best. His previous fight with Takuya Matsusaka was an up-and-down affair. He really should have prepared harder for this. And also, uh, this past weekend, we saw a Japanese super flyweight title, Takayuki Okumoto against Yuta Matsuo. Yeah, and um, we did mention it last week, and I didn't think this was going to be as good as it was. It turned out that it was really quite an exciting fight. It was really competitive. Matsuo, who's from the same gym as Takeshi Inoue and Kazuto Takasaka, uh, definitely came to win. He was just not quite able to get out of line against Okamoto, who was who's popular in Osaka where the fight was. He's, you know, the local fighter. He was just a bit too home fairy, I think. Um, not that it was a dodgy decision, but the crowd and the cheer and everything else of being at home probably just helped him out of the line. And a majority decision win usually... Uh, because it was so close, it's going to go to whoever has that home crowd behind them. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I'm not really sure what Takio Harada was watching when he had it 97, 93. That felt a little bit too wide. Toshio Sugiyama's 96, 94 and Kenji Kondo's 95, 95. They're both around, right? I can't see it being a 7-3 fight, but 6-4 or 5-5 is, yeah, it, it was close. And it was a good fight, better than we expected, because we looked at their records and said, ah, do these guys really deserve to be there? But they both gave it their all. 
he did. It's a bit of a shame the Japanese super flyweight division is going through a bit of transition. The top fighters have progressed beyond national level. Um, and then you kind of got the new wave of guys, but being caught in between the two is some of the old veterans and the last generation, like Kaduro Kodaka is another, and Okamoto, and even the likes of Yusuke Sakashita. They're all sort of wandering around in the we're here for now type of type of place there. And it's a real shame because there's youngsters like Tetsuro Hashi and um, Hayate Kaji who are probably going to break through in the next 12 to 24 months. So moving on from this weekend, it, it was, uh, there's a lot of boxing, but I would say it was an average weekend. I don't think it's going to be the case for what we have in front of us. Let's start with Friday. The 26th, California, my home state, sunshine, blue skies, the beaches, and Sariskit Sor Rungvisai back in the ring against Juan Francisco Estrada for a rematch for the WBC and Ring Magazine Super Flyweight title. Let's be honest, when this bout was announced, it became one of those mark it down in your calendar, book the day off, make sure nothing else is happening that day, type of fights. Their first bout last year was a fight of the year contender. Um, we know what we're getting now with these two. She's gets aggressive, he's hard hitting, he's got more technical ability than we give him credit for, but he's still at his core a heavy handed, aggressive, slightly rudimentary pun- box puncher. Estrada, one of the best technicians in the sport. He's such a fantastic fighter, and he looks now to be a fully-fledged super flyweight. Previously, he'd always looked a small super flyweight. Strong, but slightly smaller. Now he looks like he's going to go and try and physically challenge Shisuke, and I think this is going to be one of the best fights of the year. You have to be extremely happy for Sorong Vasai. He was, you know, had a slow start to his career, had a bunch of fights, obviously, and good fights. Was champion, uh, you know, lost his championship and regained it. But that win against Chocolatito obviously vaulted him into conversations with people, um, not just in the Asian boxing world or uh, those who follow lower weight classes, but the entire boxing world, um, beating him twice. Of course, one of those being fight of the year. And now he's getting another big fight. I, I'm, I'm happy for the guy because you, you know that he's dedicated his life to the sport. He was living in extreme poverty, and now he's doing well. Yeah, it's hard to think that back when he beat Yota Sato, um, back in 2013 for the first, uh, his first world title, no one really knew who he was. Um, he then made his first defense against Mukai. Again, no one knew, no one genuinely cared if I'm being honest outside of the Asian fight scene nobody gave him the time of day he then travelled to Mexico lost the title by technical decision to Carlos Cordres and for many that was probably the last they thought they were going to see of him he then bounces back and earns the mandatory earns the shot of the title misses out on facing Cordres in a rematch when Cordres loses the title to Gonzalez but then batters Gonzalez um, battered in the rematch of course now they win the first bout and since then, what a rise. It's hard to believe that it's like six years ago he first won the title, then faded, and he's now there making big money, getting the big fights. It's just a shame that it's taken until he's sort of safe to get those bigger fights. 
with his 33rd birthday late this year. He's an old man for a smaller guy. And whilst he's not taken a lot of punishment, he's taken a lot of punishment recently. Uh, the Gonzalez fights, the Estrada fights, even the Iran Diaz fight. How long he has left, it's hard to say, but it's fantastic that he's now getting these big money days. I think that's a good point, though. You bring up his age. What do you see happening in this fight between these two? I think it's going to be very physical. I think Estrada is the more technical. I think that's something that most will agree with. But I think he's going to give away some of that technical ability to try and physically impose himself. He managed to do that at the very end of the first fight. I think he's going to start a bit more aggressively, try and push for his skip back early on, and it's going to make a lot more excitement than the first fight. It's a bit of a hard one to predict. How much did the um, did the wars with Estrada and Gonzalez take out of Friedskett? He didn't look great against Iran Diaz. And is that perhaps a sign that his chin's failing, his durability is failing? Can Estrada really force Friedskett back? Is fighting a war going to be the wrong idea? Is he bulking up too much? There's a lot of unanswered questions. I think... Um, I think Shreesket's probably come to the end of his run, if I'm being honest. Whether it's Estrada or whether it's whoever he faces next, I think his run is coming to an end, and it wouldn't be a big surprise if Estrada was the one to end it. Well, we'll find out this Friday. Also on the card um, in California, we have a couple of great, great Olympians who are kind of continuing their climb towards possible world status. Yeah, one of them is Shaklan Giasov, who fights Emmanuel Tertler. Giasov is one of the most exciting welterweights. Um, sorry, light welterweights come welterweights. He's sort of flipping between the two. He's hard hitting. He's exciting. He's powerful. Despite being an Olympic silver medal winner, he's not the most technically sound. He's got a lot more of a flair to his style. Of kind of come and look at me. I am exciting. Um, and I think against Emmanuel Taylor, that's, that's going to be more than enough. Taylor's. Mm, Taylor has a good record. It looks like a step up. Taylor was also last seen losing to Matisse by stoppage about two years ago. Giesel shouldn't struggle this time. And the other one is Murad John Akhmadaliev, who will be facing Carlos Carlson, who's best known for being stopped by Shinsuke Yamanaka in a WBC bantamweight title fight. Akhmadaliev is actually the mandatory at Super Bantamweight for the WBA title. So he'll be very interested in the co-main event of the show, which sees Daniel Roman face TJ Dehenny uh, to unify the IBF and WBA titles at Super Bantamweight. He won't struggle with Carlson. This is a complete mismatch. But it's a chance for him to get a good look at Roman and Dehenny. I think that's why he's on the card. Yeah, that's what's crazy about this is we talk about Rangvisai and these two Uzbekistans, but you also have another title fight on that card. I know... There's not an Asian between those two guys, but those two guys have definitely fought a couple of Asian fighters. Just quickly, who do you have in that Doheny-Roman fight? I think Roman's the better fight. I think Roman has shown him, showed him what he's capable of a bit better. Uh, you mentioned that you know, they both fought Asians. He won and defended his title in Japan. Doheny, of course, won his title in Japan, so it's kind of, kind of interesting. Um, and both the titles have mandatory challenges from Asia. Akhmedaliev, the WBA mandatory, as mentioned, and Riske Iwasa is the mandatory for the IBF title. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them unify and then quickly split the titles. Yeah, just a great card. 
at the Forum in California. I'm uh, I'm excited to watch this one. It'll be on DAZN. For for you and uh, your UK fans, are you able to watch this on DAZN? No, that's actually on Sky Sports. Sky Sports tend to show a lot of the DAZN footage over here. That's um, right. That just happened, what, yesterday? And to be honest, it's been a bit of an ongoing deal. Um, the Dewey BSS card has only just been agreed to be on design, but most of these shows are actually working in association with Matchroom. Matchroom work with Sky Sports um, over here. Awesome. I, th- I think this card is actually shown on Thai TV, um, but I'm not sure on the channel. Strange, I don't believe it's shown on Japan at all, but it might be on Japan's design. You're going to want to watch this card. Uh, this Friday, Sarisigit Sorong Vasai versus Juan Francisco Estrada. The rematch. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. Uh, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. And on Twitter, just go to Asian Boxing with and Colin. And the day after the 26th, we were supposed to have another great, great matchup. It, we're still going to have a good fight on the 27th. But unfortunately, the Bantamweight fight that we were supposed to see, that's falling through. Uh, some news just came down that Zolani Tete had to pull out of his fight against Nonito Donaire. Yeah, we've had it confirmed um, moments ago by a South African who's been told that Tete hurt his shoulder on Monday. So quite why this is only just come up today that the vault's off is a bit of a mystery. Uh, it's, it's really disappointing. It's the second time Donaire's essentially had a BBSS opponent getting injured. Not saying they're related, but just a strange coincidence. Um, I wonder if he's cursed. He seems like a nice guy, but he's doing some shady things. <laughs> yeah, some sort of witchcraft or something. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. No, I I really like Nonito, but boy, he's gotten fairly fortunate these past couple of fights. Yeah, I think he's. To be fair, I think he was really competitive with Ryan Burnett. I thought he was getting to him. I thought Burnett was certainly taking a lot more punishment than he anticipated. And I think Donaire's Tete had the ingredients of something really exciting, really fun. It's just a it's just a huge shame to see that being cancelled on a few days' notice. Yeah, no, you're right. I think Donaire's power carried down, obviously. I mean, he was looked bigger than Burnett, and I think he was probably going to look a little bit bigger than Tete. It was going to be good. I was excited. Uh, we got ready to do the podcast, and all of a sudden, you break the bad news to me, Scott. Tete's out. Um, by the sounds of it, Stephen Young, who's also on that card, may fill in for Tete. That's yet to be confirmed. Or Tete, Donaire could be rescheduled, or Tete to get by. It's not 100% certain on what's going to happen, but I can't see them rescheduling. Uh, it's going to push the final back in the six months. I just don't see that, and I don't see anyone being happy with that. No, uh, you're right. It's it's already taken way too long for them to get this thing going. Like the semifinals already should have been done. They should have commenced, and they should be planning the finals. So I don't think they're going to postpone this anymore. No, it's just a case of whether or not Young steps in or Denedis gets gets a buy. Either way, it's disappointing. Young shouldn't be in the room with Denedis. So what do you think happens with the belt situation? Because this was going to be a situation where they were going to unify titles at Bantamweight. Now what happens? 
Yeah, they went unify the WBS Super and the WBO and the WBC Diamond titles. And it's really unclear what's going to happen because they've just crowned a new WBO interim title this, this past weekend with John Real Casamero winning the title in a non-televised bout in the US. So if they strip Tete, Casamero would presumably become the champion. He's in the manager position anyway, and the WBO literally created the interim title because of how long it's been since Tete last defended. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be an awkward situation because it sort of feels like the idea of the WBSS was to get the titles together. This one already missed out on the, WB, the WBC title to begin with. Now to have a WBO interim title and a WBA regular and interim title and potentially the WBO title going out the tournament, it's going to be a mess. If Tete does drop out, I suspect Deneuve goes through with his title and then Tete will face Casemiro at some point later this year for the unified WBO title. There, one, there's too many titles, and two, this thing started out so promising and it's been a complete mess, um, not only with the injuries, but with the contract disputes. It's going to be good that we're finally getting it, and I'll be honest, I'm glad, not glad, but the fact that it's this fight that's getting pushed over, I'm a, a little bit more relieved because I really don't want to miss Inoue fighting. If Inoue has to pull out or someone pulls out of his fight, then I'll be like, oh, gosh, what is the world coming to? Yeah, um, it wouldn't be a surprise, though, the way this tournament's been. It wouldn't be a big surprise if both Rodriguez and Inoue are injured and Donair wins the title by default over some weird logic that's that's his that was his plan that was his goal all along <laughs> we just didn't know and i guess you all i will win it <laughs> <laughs> he has that that charming smile he takes his opponents out to dinner he's the best sportsman in the game but little do you know if you fight donaire you're gonna get injured before or after or during the fight don't get in the Oops. ring with him what resurgence when they do BSS by default after being written off massively. That's right. No, he's still a champ. And I think um, when it comes to Inoue, if Inoue can get past uh, Rodriguez, Donaire Inoue obviously is the biggest fight that, that could have been made out of this tournament with the two best names. Maybe, maybe not the best fighters. I think Inoue is the best fighter in the tournament. Maybe not no Donaire. Donaire obviously is a legacy, um, carries some weight. So I would say two best names and probably two best fighters in the championship. It would feel very much like a passing of the torch, perhaps. Uh, like you mentioned, Donaire's legacy. I think he's got one of the best resumes in the spot today. He's up there, you know, the modern day greats. Inoue is going to be a future great. So it would be fantastic as an all-Asian fight to get on. Hopefully, you know, the DBSS don't make some stupid idea of putting this in, you know, Kathmandu. Um, if it is anyway versus, uh, versus Donair, please put it in Japan. Put it in Yokohama. Yeah, yeah. J Japan would be great. I will say that uh, Donair, because he's worldwide, America wouldn't be bad, and that would, that would help Inoue too. So I think either or would be good. Yeah, don't put it somewhere that doesn't make sense. Don't. Yeah. The way this tournament's been, they'll put it somewhere in the deep south, like Mexico or something. 
No, I think I think L.A. It has to be L.A. because Donaire has a you know, or somewhere in California. I think Inoue does well there. But yeah, Japan would be excellent too. Like Yokohama, it wouldn't get much better than that under the bright lights. Um, let's just hope it happens. Let's hope Inoue gets past Rodriguez and that the WBSS doesn't mess things up. Again. Again. Also on that card, if you're a little disappointed, you'll get to see Donaire hopefully maybe fight someone else. And they'll also have a Regis program against uh, Kirill Relic. Um, so that should be also a good fight. But we're missing on the Bantamweights. Yeah, that program is right, but that should be so much fun. Uh, both are aggressive. It's make up for the fact that we may not get a pound my belt, but that'll be a really, really fun fight. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the good part is that that is really the main event. It is in Louisiana. That's where Progress is from. So they're not losing that much. But this card was so stacked with Donaire and Tete as the, the co-main event that it's a little disappointing. But we'll try to keep you updated, of course, to stay updated with everything um, on Twitter. Just go to Asian Boxing. Before we leave you, uh, let's get you ready for next week. Scott, we have a big title fight, and this is a fighter that I've been following for a while, and I've, I've been ready for him to finally get his shot while well, he's getting it May the 1st. Yeah, um, Ria Arbor, who is such a talented softball, he, is, he beat John Neuner, who we mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, he he's a real talent. He's one of the emerging featherweights of Japan. He's 26 years old and he's on one of the best domestic runs that I think any Japanese fight is on right now. He's taken unbeaten records of guys like Hikaru Murugame, Ryo Hino, Daisuke Sugita. Added that to wins over Joy Noine, Satoshi Hosono, Daisuke Watanabe, um, and Siyoshi Tamida, who he stopped. He's challenging a uh, Japanese featherweight champion, Taiki Minamoto, who really, really impressed in his title win. The way he took the title from Takanari Ohashi was sensational. I thought he I thought he looked fantastic. And then he underperformed his first defense against Tatsuya Otsubo. If Minamoto's back to the form that saw him win the title, this could be a fight of the year contender. This could be absolutely sensational with a with two technically solid fighters put together, both uh, both hit harder than you know most people would realize. The it should make something really, really good. The thing about Abe too is didn't have that amateur pedigree that a lot of these up and coming stars have. Um, lost his second fight, and then, like you said, it has just after that Kusano fight where he got his second loss has been on a hot streak and he it seems he gets better and better each bout yeah he he's one of those fighters that you watch and you kind of go i don't see him being easy to beat by anybody he's so patient so sharp such a smart you know smart boxing mind he creates distance brilliantly he he's one of the best pure boxers in japan there's not many that i think are better pure boxing wise than he is yeah maybe with the exception of like Kenshiro Naoya Inoue like the top top guys are probably better pure boxers but um, 
it's hard to beat him when it comes to just straight up boxing. And like you said, sneaky power too with that left. Yeah, that left, it's like dynamite. His record doesn't show it. His record's like nine stoppages in 21 fights, but that left hand is, left hand is nasty. Um, the bigger problem with him is he doesn't necessarily show that sort of aggression that perhaps he needs to show to get more stoppages. He certainly has the power, just perhaps not the intensity yet. He doesn't like to put the heat on. He likes to break you down slowly. And, um, and like, if you're not going to come and try and get him, like, he's, he'll stay away. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably what makes him more frustrating. He's happy to just jab and get out of the way. He's not, he's not going to make you fight. He's happy to stay in his little box and make you make the mistakes. He's incredibly patient. Ray Abe fighting for the Japanese featherweight title against Taiki Minamoto. And it's going to be his first shot. So that should be exciting. May 1st. Uh, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves again. Friday and Saturday. Well, especially Friday. Great card with Sorong Vasai and Estrada. Looking forward to that. It's been the Asian Boxing Podcast. Go to AsianBoxing.info. Videos, news, everything you could want. Uh, pertaining to Asian boxing, it's on that site. And also follow uh, Asian Boxing on Twitter at Asian Boxing. Scott, May's coming up. It's right around the corner. It's going to be fun. May's going to be so sad. Even going back to that May 1st card, you've got Hinata Marita on that card. Uh, Ryota Oho and Masamichi Ibuki. We're going into the month hot. There's three fantastic young fighters on that card, as well as the main event. And then things just get better and better through the month. Keep up with the Asian Boxing Podcast and keep up with the website, asianboxing.info. We'll talk to you next week.